This message comes from NPR sponsor Total Wine and More. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine and More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. The rapper Chica is just about old enough to rent a car. When she was born, Tupac, Snoop, and Mace were at the top of the charts. In fact, in fact, the day she was born, March 9, 1997, was the day Biggie Smalls was killed. Chica grew up in Alabama. Her parents, Nigerian immigrants, played a lot of music from their home country during her childhood. As a teen, she'd listen to Outkast and Wale, and, like so many teens before her, a lot of Avril Lavigne. She dreamed of growing up to be an MC, and eventually she did become one. She's on a major label, she has some EPs under her belt, and this summer, her debut LP, Samson, the album. You'll hear some of that later on. But the path that she took to get here wasn't anything like that of Outkast or Wale, or for that matter, Avril Lavigne. Chica was about 19 when she went viral for the first time. She shot a video shortly after the 2016 election where she put on white face makeup. A couple years later, she did a freestyle diss track, the target of which was Kanye West and his support of Donald Trump. And the beat was Kanye's own Jesus Walks. Now, Mr. West, take a seat, I implore you. Over time, it seems it's gotten harder to ignore you. You undo the progress of the geniuses before you. Can get you the boxing that we know you can afford her. It don't matter how much money you got or you lack. When that check clear, don't forget your children is still black. And your music has been whack, and your views are moving back. The young woman has bars. But viral videos are, if not quite disposable, at least, I don't know, ephemeral. And Chica is a real MC. If you're looking for more proof, here's a single from her new album. It's called Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, I get wrapped up in mystical schisms of visions at times. Searching for thrills in my mind. Pedantic with antics like I ain't got bills on my mind. Running away from reality, that's a fatality. I can't avoid this by taking my time. The thought of mortality keep me alive. Game of the fittest, I want to survive. Am I a bird? Am I a plane? Or just a that's gotten too... Maybe I follow the spectrum somewhere that can't answer why often I just want to cry. Even that lyric above is a lie. I'm too afraid that I really... Chica, welcome to Bullseye. It's so nice to have you on the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm enjoying myself so far. Oh, I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear. <laughs> well, bad news. <laughs> we have to do an interview now. All right, back. <laughs> I mean, you're ready to go. You're you're wearing Balenciaga house shoes yeah, in am. the studio. Here. I am. I admire, and su- I admire and support it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Sometimes they don't give me my flowers when I deserve them. But mm-hmm. today, of all days, in my Balenciaga fuzzy house shoes, I'm glad that I can be seen and I mean, appreciated for who I am. Not to brag, but I have no, new you're balances. No, you're flexing on me. You're flexing on me. Your whole fit is flexing on me. Like we, we established this as soon as you walked in. <laughs> okay. It's very, very kind of you. You look nice. Listening to your new album and your first back-to-back... The tone shift is really apparent. How would you describe the difference? I think uh, with my first EP, it was it was very much so a young green 
happy, excited little girl, (laughs) 22-year-old, who was uh, documenting the world that she was seeing around her. And I had just moved to L.A. And so I was just like, everything's going to everything's going to work out. We're going to, you know, keep it optimistic or whatever. And, uh, you know, put the album out three days later, a global shutdown for the entire world. And I was irrevocably changed (laughs) by everything that has happened from COVID and the pandemic. And so I, through the past three years, have, have just kind of matured, but also become, I wouldn't say pessimistic, but like nihilistic. Because, like, for me, I was just coming into everything with making industry games. And then I I got to see that it doesn't really matter how hard you work. Anything could happen in the world to, like, completely throw off the trajectory of what you're doing. And so you hear that version of me. Like, you hear the the old, (laughs) not really old, but, you know, the seasoned, quote-unquote, bitter 25-year-old who's like, well, damn, like, I almost had my moment. Like, why did I have to have it stall for three years, basically? I feel like people attribute their pandemic hobbies, you know, the sourdough bread making or whatever, to uh, an excess of time, you Mm -hmm. know, that they're not going out and doing stuff. I kind of think that in large part, it was just a, a desire to have control over something. Yeah. Like just... and. Like to have it to, to have that happen, to have that shutdown happen immediately upon releasing yeah. the first of your life life's work. Yeah, and everyone for months is like, "No, it's okay. Like, <laughs> just just wait. On the thirteenth, you'll drop this, and then and then you can go back to you know like grocery shopping and living normally, and you can go see your parents." And I'm like, every every promise that was uh, made to me in the months and weeks leading up to the release of my first project. Uh, all of them were shot to hell. <laughs> as soon as I put out the project, it was like uh, even going grocery shopping. I, I got to go when it was a ghost town and nobody was in there and all the shelves had been like, you know, completely stripped bare. And I was in a position where I was more so doing things like this and, and traveling and, and doing shows. And we did Tiny Desk right before. And it was it was a, a whirlwind of a time where as soon as, I was back in my house and like alone and able to take a moment to assess where I was at in life. We were in a very new and fresh panic mode place for everyone. Like it wasn't like, okay, I had press week and or press month and I'm going to come home and relax and reset. It was like, no, I'm my relaxation and reset was immediately hopping into a pandemic and not really being able to look back on the past few weeks that have been a blur to me at that point. It was just like, oh, yeah, you're hopping in to a new chapter of your life. And also, congrats, your album's out or your EP's out. Like, you're this is supposed to be the happiest time of your life and everybody's terrified. And everyone's sick and not knowing what the the symptoms of this thing are going to lead to. And there's not really a—you <laughs> can't perform. You can't really tour. You're not— you're you have new fans, but they're not gonna meet you for at that point, I didn't know, but two years. Like so yeah, it was a weird time for everyone, but a traumatic, I will say, time for me. It was it is even now putting out this album, I'm I'm like waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it's terrible. <laughs> Let's hear a track from uh my guest Chica's first project, uh the Industry Games EP from twenty twenty. Uh let's let's hear the title track. Thank you. 
Think it's a game? They don't control where I land. I'm trying to stack all these M's. All of my idols is friends. Came to the fight with some Tim's. Will I lit up? It depends. Come through the struggle. I don't run from trouble. No breaking. I just want to win. Don't be defeated. I'm hella conceited. I write on that beat like a band. Yeah. I am the one from the stories that got you excited. Rhythmic flow is ignited. There's like some intense hopefulness on that record. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Like, that is the part that makes me feel like that crash must have been so hard. Yeah, it was huge. It was a big one. And one that is uh, continuously imploding still to this day. But, you know, we have better tools to deal with it in in ways to, like I said, I like to put it, uh, mourn what could have been while still being able to look forward to what can be. And that's where I've been for the past three years. And you hear that on the album. You hear it. <laughs> you hear all of that in what I'm saying and in, in the anger and, and bitterness that you kind of capture on the project. What was home when you came home? Um, Like, where was home or like? Yeah. I mean, North Hollywood, chilling in the valley. The first place that I ever lived was, uh, is or the first place that I ever came out here and stayed at is the first place I ended up like signing a lease and living at and yeah it's it's like everything is frozen in time it's just nuts but yeah that's, that's i been... mean north hollywood's perfect you got the arts district there you're an artist so <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i also moved to la uh nine months before the pandemic so i wasn't able to create an ecosystem or like have a a real home base uh the people that i was and I still work with them, but the people I was working with uh, became my not only friends, but like my family because I came out here by myself from Alabama. And so, yeah, I I have really strong bonds with the people I work with. And uh, I'm sure they're really tired of me. But <laughs> it's like because I was in uh, a constant work mode, um, I was able to not really pay attention to the fact that I didn't have anyone outside of work. And so... Even being in the arts district, it was like watching all of these new and young transplants who are like hopeful and like me, you know, but they have other people they moved with. Like they have a roommate. They have like friends or if they're dancers, at least they go to the dance studio every day. You know what I'm saying? For me, it was moving here and doing press and, you know, signing or whatever. Great things. But the moments to connect to people are few and far between. And so it wasn't, it's like, yeah, being in the Valley is cool. <laughs> it, it's cool for what it is, but also it can become really isolating uh, very quick if you're not aware of where you are specifically. I'm nowhere near everyone else who lives in Beverly Hills at all. The other thing that's going on as you are struggling to form real life relationships in this place that you just moved to before the world shut down yeah. is that you're also were and are a social media star. Yeah. And so you're also engaged with the weird semi-relationships of that. Yeah. Um, Hate it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's hard. Yeah, it's really tough because when you build your entire, because for me, I built my career online, and then struggled to to legitimize myself as an artist because I would feel like a quote-unquote internet person. So you can imagine that over the course of however many years it's been from like blowing up or whatever and doing things on the internet, there's been plenty of people who like reach out 
in high moments and they're just like, we love you and you're great and this, that, and the third. Um, But when it's quiet and when there's no one else around and when it is three days after the global shutdown starts and you're looking around and you're like, ah, there's really nobody here. And that social media stuff gets really, I would say tiresome, but also it's, it's sobering, I guess is the word I would go for there. It's like, oh, okay, none of that is real at all. Like, there's a few people, of course, that I've met on the internet and, like, been able to make connections with who are some real-life, like, allies and friends and people who look out for me. But the majority of it is a smokescreen. And a lot of it is just, like, having holographic friends. And when you actually need some someone there physically, uh, most times they don't appear. And so, yeah, it was it was weird having this era of time where the world wasn't shut down and no one could foresee COVID happening. And you feel like social media is an extension of real life. So you feel like you have all of the people in the world around you who are there for you and this, that, and the third. But then when all of that is snatched away and you're, like I said, alone in your house and you can't, you physically can't get with anybody because social distancing and CDC and like you start realizing how just how alone you are. Yeah, social media is not always uh, what it's cracked up to be, I'll say. We're taking a break. We'll be back in just a second. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Total Wine & More. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. This message comes from Capital One, presenting sponsor of the 2024 Tiny Desk Contest. Earlier this year, unsigned musicians from around the country submitted their original songs for the 10th annual Tiny Desk Contest. The panel of judges are hard at work picking standout entries, and you can follow along and choose your favorite videos as well. The winner gets to play their very own Tiny Desk Concert, then headline a tour with NPR Music this summer. Want to come along for the ride? Visit tinydeskcontest.npr.org to learn more. Then check out the Venture X card from presenting sponsor Capital One. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy and turn everyday purchases into extraordinary trips. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, my guest is Chica. She's a rapper, poet, and actor. Her debut album came out earlier this year. It's called Samson. Let's get back into our conversation. Tell me a little bit about how your parents felt when you decided to become a social media celebrity. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> how did your parents feel about that? Rather than because your parents are first generation Nigeria. immigrants from Nigeria. Yeah. No, I'm first generation. They are straight from over there. <laughs> there you go. So yeah. and like I'm I'm gonna speak broadly of the Nigerian American community. You go can crazy. correct me if it doesn't apply to you. <laughs> I'm ready to hear it. But like of all the immig- immigrant groups in the United States, it is one of if maybe even the uh, most highly educated. Yeah. Um uh, and just very overachievers culturally doing too much honestly like (laughs) i get it like i get it culturally but also i think that we should just chill like let's let's give our kids room to breathe and become who they want to be um 
My parents were definitely, as Nigerians, very much so into education. My grandmother, she had she was in an abusive relationship, and so she wasn't necessarily with my mom's dad all the time. Um, and she didn't have a, a strong education, and but she had five, if I'm not mistaken, kids. Um, yeah, she had to take care of them. And so one of the main things that she knew would get them out of po- or put, put them in a position where they wouldn't be in poverty um, was education. And so she f- not forced it, but instilled that into her children. And I get it. It was a survival skill, but it ends up being almost <laughs> like a generational curse. I hate laughing at these moments because it's these are all realizations that I've had over the past three years. You spend enough time with yourself. You have to go back and dig into your family's stuff, too. Um, but, yeah, they education became less of a tool and more of a generational curse where my family, they say if your parent is cheap, it's because they have spent enough time not having money to know that they never want to go back. And so they're very tight fisted. Um, In the same way, if you don't really have the struggle to be something or you don't have a reason not to dream, but your parent did not have the freedom to dream, they will pass that down. And so as soon as I, uh, first year of college, after like the, the semester is about to end, the second semester is about to end, and I'm like, I don't want to go back. I'm waking up every day and I'm watching my roommate who is so excited to be at our school, so excited. She loves it. She's in the color guard. She's marching all over the place. And I wake up every day and I'm like, I want to die. Like, I'm, I don't want to be on earth. I had to eventually tell my parents, like, yo, it's getting it's getting real. I can't do this anymore. And I presented it to them in a way that I said, college is applied time. It's nothing but applied time. And everyone here is applying their time for the career they want. But I know what career I want, and I can't do it here. I was an undeclared major. I was essentially wasting time and money. And I was just like, if y'all give me a year, give me a year. Like, if I don't have anything to show for it, then I'll go back to school. But give me a year to apply my time outside of school for what I want. And um, I put forth a very convincing case, I will say. And my parents were like, get a job. Um, I was like, okay, cool. They're like, you can stay here. I was like, great. Have a room upstairs. Been had one since I was eight. Um, <laughs> they were like, as long as you can take care of yourself and, you know, pay for your own gas and all that. Get to and fro. Uh, and you're not being a burden on this. Feel free to pursue your music. Um, and then three months later, I blew up from something that had nothing to do with music. And that was also a month after coming out to L.A., blowing all of my money on this uh, random opportunity that I had to work with my favorite artist. And I got stood up. And so, like, there was a lot of... In there, I'm sure my parents were like, what is she doing? Like, (laughs) is she going to make it? Is she going to do anything that makes us proud? Our other doctor or our other uh, daughter is about to be a doctor and she's in med school and she's on like a fast track program. And here's our youngest being like, I want to drop out and be a rapper. That like it probably scared the hell out of them. But it only lasted their fear only lasted three months because after that, social media took off out of nowhere, did not expect it to happen. And eventually over time, they they started seeing that like, oh, our daughter's actually making a name for herself, even before it was paying. Where was this conversation, this intense conversation on the timeline with the I'm queer conversation? Oh, it was right. Same time, man. Same time. <laughs> it was a lot happening in that time. Just formative years, truly. I'd blown up already. I was already like a, a Instagram person, social media person doing freestyles and stuff. Um, and one of my first 
like viral videos or whatever was me rapping about growing up in the church, but knowing that I was queer and being like, this don't make sense. Like the God I'm being taught about hates me. (laughs) He hates me really bad and I'm an abomination. But that doesn't make sense because I feel really loved and I love my partner in a, a way that isn't literally focused on sex at all. So what is the truth? And so I wrote a verse about that. And that was probably what, like three, four months into me being a social media person. And uh, my cousin sent it to my dad, hoping to out me. Hoping to out you maliciously? Yeah. We've talked about it (laughs) this past Christmas. But yeah, she sent it to my dad, hoping to out me. And uh, he called me downstairs to his room. I thought it was because I was smoking in my car. I don't know. <laughs> I thought he has found the weed. He has located the marijuana. This is not a drill. <laughs> so I thought it was that. And I come downstairs and he's like, just sit down. And I'm sitting in his room. Like, this is like the godfather. I'm sitting there like, what is he about to say? And he's like, so I saw this post recently. I'm like, post? Oh, no. <laughs> it hit me immediately what was happening. I was like, <gasps> and he's like, so, are you, do you consider yourself gay? I was like, no. At the time, I identified as bisexual, so I said that. Um, I'm pansexual now because I'm an inclusive shorty. Anyway, um, but yeah, he asked if I was gay, and I was like, oh, bisexual, but yeah, I'm attracted to women. He's like, okay. And his first question was, do you feel safe? And I did not expect my Nigerian father to ever ask that. I thought it would be a flogging from <laughs> the Lord himself. But his first question was, do you feel safe? And I did. And so I said, yes. He was like, okay. Do you think it's going to affect your career in any negative way? I was like, no, I don't think so. There's no gays out there. We stand together. Uh, (laughs) And he asked if anyone else knew. And I was like, let me, well, it's pretty obvious. I'm in a bow tie. Um, (laughs) But he was just like, uh, okay, did, did any of the Nigerians know? And I think that was his main concern. Because um, I guess he didn't want them to know before him. And I was like, well, not really, but it's not a conversation to be had with them. But there are some others. I was like, I'm not the only gay one out here, okay? He's like, okay, cool. Well, I don't think all gay people are going to hell, which is the first time I heard that from my uh, Nigerian, very Christian father. And I was like, okay, could have had this conversation long, long ago. And he was like, yeah, I don't think, all gay people are going to hell now. As long as you feel like you're safe in our house and like you aren't going to be in any danger, it's not going to throw off your career. Um, I'm psh, go crazy, like have fun. And I was like, okay. And he's like, all right, cool. Gave me a hug. And I left the room. And I was like, the whole time I thought I was getting busted for smoking in my car. And nope, that was not what was happening. We've got to go to a quick break. Chica has a lot of fans, including some fans who say they don't like rap music very much. Uh, She says, yes, it's nice to open people's eyes, but it's also a hassle. We'll talk about that. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, the automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares how cash can be part of a balanced savings strategy for investors. Oftentimes people think of their cash as the money they're using, but when there's a high rate environment, your cash can also be a form of savings. So savings can sit in your cash account and savings can sit in an investing account. And on average and over time, investments go up, but in a high interest rate environment, you can get a more predictable return in a high yield savings account. 
And so investors can choose both strategies, an investment strategy as well as a cash strategy to both protect your principal because cash doesn't go down the way markets can, but also to earn a high yield. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Video games can make you laugh. They can make you cry. They can even make you sing. We're the hosts of Triple Click. It's a podcast about video games. This is an exciting time for new games from Diablo to Final Fantasy. From Starfield to Street Fighter. From Zelda to, oh, who are we kidding? We're just going to talk about (laughs) Zelda. Whether you play games or you just like hearing about them, we've got you covered. Find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. I'm Jesse Thorne. You're listening to Bullseye. My guest is Chica, the rapper and poet. Do you remember when Hamilton was huge, like the hugest it's thing still ever? huge in my heart. Okay. So <laughs> first of all, I'm just going to open by stipulating God bless Hamilton. Yeah. God bless Lin-Manuel. Holy. A supporter of this show and other shows on our network. A decent fella and a brilliant genius. And opener of my album. There you go. Our stories are all we got. So if you're going to tell it, tell it boldly. Tell the truth without fear. Legend has it, moments like this happen once in your life. It's a tale of finding glory and strife while avoiding the hype. I wanted to put my face through a window if one more person told me about how they didn't really like rap. But they love they Hamilton. love Hamilton. Uh, and I'm like, well, first of all, Hamilton is like seventy percent musical theater. Like, don't don't yeah. worry that you're turning into a rap enthusiast. Oh my God, I'm a rap fan. Like great <laughs> great rapping in there and everything. Shout out to everybody in the cast. Yeah. Shout out to Lin Manuel. But like it's musical theater. You know, yeah. it's a hybrid of the two and it's definitely musical theater. And um I just remember that intense feeling. And there is this world of hip hop that someone wants to tell you when they're telling you about how they like it. I'm not, I don't usually, but I don't know. They have to, like, there's always a caveat, like there's a a stipulation there, like some kind of, I don't know, but I usually, I don't care what you usually listen to. Just say you like this and move on. (laughs) Right. And I feel like between rapping about being queer, between people looking for body positivity narratives. Yeah. Between the poetry thing, yeah. like she was, you know, she's she's really is a poet. <laughs> um, between those three things, uh, like my eighty year old lesbian auntie would definitely email one, me one of your videos. That's how it is. It's actually really sweet. I get a lot of comments and DMs from people who always start their DM with, "Hi." I'm nothing but a 54-year-old white woman from the Midwest, but I have to let you know your music really... And I that happens every day. And it's always, hi, I'm nothing but a age, insert age here, uh, Caucasian, and then whatever, wherever, whatever region that they attribute I mean, to. I know about these emails because I get these yeah. emails. Yeah. I get these emails about this show. Like, you had a rapper <laughs> on your show, and I don't usually... I don't usually listen to rap, but that's like... You're really the guy that tells me about rap. And I'm like... 
I'm also old. <laughs> um, but uh, but I also think, like, on the one hand, what a blessing to open people's eyes. Yeah. On the other hand, what a hassle. Yeah. Yeah, really. It's the most stressful thing I've ever chosen to do with my life. <laughs> I often do... Uh, I often do question if I chose the right path for me as a person. I know I did when it comes to skill and when it comes to the fact that I love it. And it's it's cathartic and really therapeutic in that way. But also I question on a regular basis. I'm like, me, the mentally spicy girl. Is it is it a good thing for me to be in a career field that I have to know what people think about me. I'd rather live my life the way I currently do. It's, it causes problems now, but I'd love to live my life the way I currently do where I just don't care. And I am violently myself and whatever comes from that is for me. And whatever does not was not like, I would love to live that way, but I, I can't do that. Even now, like I'm like, Okay, uh, if I were to be violently myself at right now, I'm what brand would see that and think that does not align with them and they don't want to help with this or sponsor this or like give me an opportunity? I, I've essentially made my humanhood into a commodity. And since I've commodified it, I no longer get to just do it and, and do it legitimately. I'm doing it in a way that is always under scrutiny. And it's not. It is not a great place to exist as a as a person. And it is, like you said, tiresome. Very tiresome. But as an artist, we I'm doing the insane thing, which is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And putting out music and continuously doing that for the people that it does touch and for the people who love that and parasocially love me. That's that's the purpose. But God, it is very much so the most exhausting uh, thing I've ever chosen to do. And I chose to do it when my brain wasn't fully formed, which is the most telling thing of all. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Do you feel like in this space between that first record and this record, and to some extent the space between, you know, a year and a half ago, maybe when life started resembling life again. And now uh, you have developed skills to be yourself and be a grown-up? No. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. No. (laughs) I think that in the light of COVID and in light of all of the things that we've all had to go through personally, interpersonally, and just as a, a world at large, I think that we're all going to be a bit messed up for a lot longer than we're assuming we are. And I think that we have to be not so afraid of that. I think that what we've all experienced collectively and separately is one of the most, uh, we won't know it until, you know, years and years and years pass, but a life-shifting occurrence um, that feels so minuscule because we lived through it and so many people didn't. It feels like oh, you know, there was this pandemic thing and it was, you know, a blip on the scale in terms of our entire lives. But realistically, for someone who is just starting their life, that is a huge major glass window to like fly into full speed. And that's where I was. Um, And so 
yeah, I may be able to stand and I may be able to fly short distances right now, but I'm still healing ultimately. And I, there's certain tools I have, but also when you're learning, uh, when you're learning what's broken, you can't really pick the proper tool yet. The only tool I have right now is turning it into something. It's transmuting the energy into something positive. And the only positive thing I can make right now is either art paintings or poetry. So <laughs> that's how I'm treating it. Is there a song on your new album, Samson, that we should go out on? I think it would be cool to go out on Delilah. Why do you choose that one? It's the song on the album where I am no longer really looking at everything as a out-to-get-me situation, and I realize that I'm also sometimes the author of my own downfall. And it's a song that I wrote to uplift someone who's always in my life there for me and, and looking out for me and also holding me accountable, even in moments where I don't see that or I'm not appreciative of it. So after everything that I've said today and um, the conversation we've had, I feel like You've gotten to know another side of me. And so all the other songs kind of represent the same vantage point, but Delilah is the one that it shifts and it warps. And so for people to to hear a more intimate side of me, I think uh, that's a good one. It's a, a goodie. But I am just immortal in your presence Tearing down my walls You found me broken and you started fixing I don't deserve you and I never will You know it's true But just for the record, you an angel So nobody do Well, Chica, I appreciate your time and your music Thanks for coming in Thanks for having me This has been a blast How to paint in blues A different hues They add a layer to what God has done All my life I question If somebody could shine for the sun Chica, her album Samson is out now. You are the wish I've been afraid to verbalize aloud. You make me dream again, make me feel seen again. I quit the drugs with you so potent that I fiend again. I lost my way, I made mistakes. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. The other day I was at the farmer's market. I bought a big tomato plant at the behest of my six-year-old who absolutely demanded it. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is by our friend Dan Wally, DJW. Our theme song is called Huddle Formation. It was written and recorded by the Go team, thanks to them and thanks to their label, Memphis Industries. Bullseye is now on Instagram can find uh, sneak peeks behind the scenes and um, all kinds of neat stuff at Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. So find us there, follow us, tell your friends about it, um, share our interviews with your friends, please. We appreciate it. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.
This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology, hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and more about why people do the things they do. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen.